0: Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 29th episode of Animalators, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Ryan Moore, creative director of Gretel in New York. He leads strategy, identity, and design initiatives for a variety of brands in the entertainment, digital, and cultural space. Their clients include Netflix, Vice, New York Times Magazine, Vanity Fair, IFC, and countless others. Today on the show, we'll talk about Gretel's recent work for Viceland, pitching on projects, and the core philosophy behind their work, and and a ton of other stuff. Uh, Gretel is one of my favorite studios doing some of the best work in the industry. I I could not be more excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I appreciate your time.
1: No, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah.
0: Um, well, we, we've got a, a ton to get to, so I, I really want to just jump right into it. Um, could you first uh, just kind of say, like, what, what's your role at Gretel? How long have you been there?
1: Sure. Uh, I work at Gretel. Uh, we're a creative and brand studio here in New York, and I've been here for almost six years. I'm the creative director. Um, Gretel itself is around, I guess it's about 11 years old. Um and it was founded by, uh, by Greg Hahn, who is effectively, you know, he owns the studio and he's also uh, creative. And, and together we kind of uh, are the leads here and manage all the work and, and all the sort of creative output of the studio comes through us.
0: Wow. So how big's the team now?
1: Good question. You know, we we are around, I want to say 16, 15 or 16 wow. now. Um, so I don't know if that seems small or big. And uh, you can see on our site that, that um, I don't know if we have titles listed, but I think of that, I bet there are a dozen or so creatives and then we have you know, studio managers and operations and project managers, producers, that kind of thing.
0: So obviously this is a you know, an animation podcast, but would you guys say that you're like, you're, you're, your primary role is, sorry, isn't animation, it's that you're a branding studio, right? Yeah, correct.
1: That's what we do. That's certainly our focus. Um, Myself, you know, I I did animate. I still sometimes do animate. I don't think my After Effects skills are are uh, up to par with some of the animators we have in the studio, but um, I can do it. I've always, you know, I came from a sort of design animator role. That's kind of how I started in this business and I used to be into interactive way back when. But yeah, we still animate we still create things that move but that's that's always um, under the umbrella of a big uh, brand identity so it's it's part of what we do it's certainly not uh, all what we do and it's not our focus and I know you have had other really talented animators uh, on this podcast and I don't know when people look at our work I wonder if they if they appreciate the motion or if they're kind of looking at the whole system you just never really know what people think <laughs> yeah. about your work but I look at something like Viceland and I, when we were working on that You know, part of the goal was for this to not, we would say to each other like this should not be the kind of thing that a young animator would pull into his reference reel like (laughs) this should be deliberately anti so I feel like we're doing more and more of that and less and less like sort of slick uh, animation as we as we go but it, it really falls under the the umbrella thinking of what the how the brand should behave.
0: Yeah no let's i mean let's talk about it. let's get right into it i mean viceland was a super interesting project i mean everything seems um, i don't know it's it's all about like boiling down um, to to the essence, right? Uh, I'm, I'm pulling from a, a motionographer interview you did. Uh, you said, with any brand, we try to boil everything we know about the brand down to its essence, the ethos of the brand. Um, and, and it seems, I mean, that that is so apparent in, in everything that you guys do. And, and before we got started, you, you kind of talked about like, you know we, we are at first a branding company we um, we try to decide what motion and behavior would make sense around that, but it but it's all about that first so could you maybe talk a little bit about that that um, that ethos that that philosophy that kind of drives every single one of your projects
1: Sure, sure I think for us um, we spend a lot of time in the conference room before we make anything um, we are trying to figure out and vice is a great example of that what what does this brand stand for? Um, how can we express everything that they're about? This is pre design, even, into an analogy or into a metaphor, um, into a way of thinking about how they should behave, so that we have this root thought that can inform everything from uh, what the logo should look like, what the language, how the language expresses itself through messaging, um, how it moves, how it behaves, typeface choice, composition, all of that should ladder back to this sort of root thinking. So we'll do, you know, long conversations and meetings and we'll pull references and we may sketch and sort of hang things up on the cork five or six times before we land on this core theme or, or uh, end up with something that feels like it could lead us through the whole brand. And that can be like a really trying process. And, and sometimes, especially when we have uh, freelancers in or people contributing that maybe aren't so familiar with our process that you can kind of, See them thinking, like, what are we doing about why are we talking about this so much? Like I am an after-effects person, I should be in there animating, or I am a (laughs) writer, I need to get out there and start writing. But it really I think comes from the the back and forth and the, you know, we talk about working from both sides toward the middle. So someone might be kind of doodling um, in Photoshop, someone else might be kind of pulling references, motion references, or or composition references from the web. And it's sort of getting all that stuff together and figuring out, okay, what resonates here? What feels like it fits? And then uh, having the discipline to ditch everything else until you hit on something that feels like this is it. We've kind of cracked it. And this, this thought that we're talking about now feels like it can inform everything else
0: about the brand. Who, who's in these, these meetings? Is it mostly just you and Greg? Or do you bring the entire team no, no. into these? Yeah,
1: it's usually the entire team. I mean, wow. It, it kind of depends at what phase, you know, where we are in a given project. But yeah. Yeah, it'll be, you know, we have writers come in and we ourselves do a lot of writing. Um, that's maybe a, a separate tangent for later on, but as yeah. a creative director, you spend a lot more time in like InDesign and text edit than you do in, uh, in the Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah. But yeah, we'll bring everybody in and it, and it really is important, I think, to hear from everybody in terms of um, what's their take on, on not just what they want to make or they feel like it should look like, but how uh, how they perceive this brand. And sometimes we're really familiar with them and sometimes they're, they're total unknowns and we have to kind of dig into research and learn about the history of the brand and where they've been and where they're going and then look at the competitive landscape and all of that you know we don't have strategists here we are i suppose greg and i the the strategists of this company so we do all of that um all of that work ourselves
0: so what is that discovery process with your your clients like do you just try and do you have like a maybe a prepared list of questions does a lot of it come in research or are they involved in this kind of ideation process do you go back and forth at all or do you do you just kind of ingest it all and then kind of come up with what you think is best and present it back
1: work comes to us in one of two ways it's either a pitch process which i'm sure uh, you and your listeners might be familiar with it, or a direct award meaning no pitch and those two ways of working are, are pretty different on the front end so if there is a pitch, it's definitely a lot less collaborative. Um, we just can't in a time allotted for a pitch, which could be six weeks, it could be uh, two weeks, you know, it just totally depends on the client. In that short time frame, we can't do the deep dive um, that we might do or the kind of workshops or the conversation or collaboration that come with a direct award. There just isn't time. So we might have a debrief and we might have a ch- one check-in or something before we show up to the pitch, but we're kind of working off on our own. I wouldn't say in the dark, but we are sort of um, taking a shot. And when we pitch, we pitch big. Um, we just did a talk at uh, the StyleFrames conference here in New York, and we showed our original Viceland pitch, which actually looks nothing like the, the final product. Not that it looks nothing like it. It's, there are similarities, but it ended up being used for a, a different project altogether. So if it's a direct award, now, right off the bat, we're in kind of a collaborative situation where we are typically going to the offices of whoever the client is, meeting with as many people as we can, um, and talking about how they see the brand, what's working for them, what's not working, do they need uh, tools and structure, do they need uh, tone of voice, and where will the brand grow You know, in the next year, in the next two, five years even, um, as much as that's possible to plan for. But in that sort of direct award situation, we're definitely more collaborative, and we are then developing multiple directions and sort of workshopping uh, creative along the way.
0: So I'd like to put a pin in the in the process talk, because I want to get back to that. But we kind of brought up pitching already, and that's something I wanted to touch on a little bit. Um, and, and it sounds like you you've even... Like said already, like, you know, it, it is a different process and, and you do maybe have a little bit more time. You get to go back and forth. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you see, is it is it possible that you think pitching would ever go away in our industry or, or do you think that's even necessary?
1: You know, I know pitching, the idea of pitching can be polarizing, um, but I think there are certainly merits to the process. I mean, the big advantage of pitching is that a shop like Gretel, and maybe people think of us as a big company, but um, certainly against the inner brands and the sort of um, future brands or the Wolf Olinses of the world, you know, we're not. We're a, a nimble little creative studio here in New York, but we are now pitching against those guys, against multinational brand consultancies. And yeah. that is a chance for us to compete at the highest level. And I think that's, hmm. that is the, the sort of, you know, the big pro to pitching is that you get a chance to compete against um, the big shops who may have the portfolio and the experience that you don't. But it's a way for you as an individual or a way for you as a company to kind of get your foot in the door and get a seat at that table. So I don't know that it'll ever go away. I think there are all kinds of pitches and, and you know, there's all kinds of ways that that can unfold with the client. And I know that some people may have you know, maybe some moral objections and certainly there can be financial um, situations that just make it sort of not worth it and for us when we pitch we have to really weigh all of that out and sometimes it comes down to the schedule and the work in-house and sometimes it comes down to the opportunity you know to work for a different kind of client or to to really make something that we know we're gonna love Um so we'll we'll make it work if we feel like we have a, a strong point of view you know
0: so earlier you said, uh, you talked a little bit about boiling everything down to like this core kind of ethos or, or this core metaphor or something like that. Could you talk a little bit about that process of, of boiling down a brand? Maybe, I mean, it seems like clients very often have like many goals that they want to achieve, like many places that they want to go, maybe. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things and you have to find a way to boil that down. Could you talk a little bit about that process? Um, and, and if it'd be helpful, feel free to even like pull out uh, maybe a specific example, where with, uh, maybe uh, Viceland or, or another project.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just because I know our own work best, I can talk about um, IFC. I think that's a really sort of strong example of that. So we worked with them. I guess it must be two, two and a half years ago now on a, on a rebrand, and the impetus of the whole thing was to kind of put a nail in the coffin of IFC as a as a film channel. I mean, they really have shifted into becoming a place for independent comedy. And that's why we came on board is to kind of do a rebrand and sort of reposition them uh, visually and verbally as a brand that is all about uh, off the beaten path independent comedy. So, you know, part of those early meetings and interviews, and this was a direct award situation, so we were meeting with them right off the bat, um, everyone from operations to programming to the creative team who did on-air and off-air and digital and one thing that kind of came out of that a couple things that came out of that those initial meetings but one thing that really sort of sparked an idea for us was that their their blog was tracking really well like they would get tons of hits they have a really sort of amazingly funny almost buzzfeed style blog over at IFC and their, their content lends itself really well to that so one thing that came up in kind of our, our qualitative research was we would ask people, you know, do you do you have you ever heard of IFC? And people are like, Yeah, I think it's like a it's a film channel, right? And you're like, well what does IFC stand for? And they would say it's international film, something or other. I don't know. <laughs> and then do you watch IFC? No, I never watch IFC. Do you watch Portlandia? Oh, I love Portlandia. So people were seeing <laughs> Portlandia but had no connection that it was from you know this network called IFC. So part of our job was to was to you know, rope in all the programming and make sure that we're stamping all these things that can track uh, virally across the web and, and properties that people are seeing and not having any association with the parent brand of IFC. And then the other part of it was to give them a really strong conceptual platform. So as they're building the brand and, and we make, we basically make things for other people to make, like we're not making every single piece of a brand and IFC is obviously off and running now for years on their own um, based on the platform that we gave them. But you have to make sure that when you hand that thing over, um, we talk about like, we speak in metaphors a lot here. There's there's the laser beam, you know, it's got to be so focused and so sharp, it's going to dilute over time. And as it passes through different people's hands that it has to be so pointed when you first hand it over that that, that thinking can carry through so that if someone is making something uh, at the network or in the studio, or another brand partner is making something, it's not getting lost in that game of telephone that can sometimes happen. <laughs> yeah. So for them, the metaphor that we came down to, or that we came away with, in the end, was this idea that IFC is a venue. It's kind of like a like an Alamo draft house, or like a, there's a theater here in Williamsburg, I think called the Nighthawk, where you, they show. It's like an independent event space. So you might have a film festival uh, one night or a comedy, an open mic night the next night, an improv session um, over the weekend, that kind of thing. So that became for us this metaphor, if you are a venue, a place for that can, can host you know, films and comedies just like this network, how would you behave? And that informed everything from the way the logo looks. It feels like this kind of extruded sign that might sit over um, a physical space or kind of like a, a back lot or something. And the way that we message, the way that we sort of lay out all of their on-air tune-in information feels like a gig poster. You know, It feels like we're promoting an act that's going to come on stage. And then the way the brand behaves and expresses itself through language really borrowed from the success of their blog. So taking things like Top 5s and taking the sort of quirky language of the web and the way that, that BuzzFeed and people in the social space at the time were speaking and bringing that through on-air, through print, and letting that kind of inform the way that they comment and talk about their talent and their shows without sort of stepping on those people. I mean, part of the beauty of the metaphor of the venue was that it you're always promoting the acts, you're never sort of stealing the spotlight, and that became a really useful, and I think pointed, metaphor for them. And you can see, you know, we, we do, I think we do a good job of case studies on our website that kind of oh, show yeah. the breadth of the way that that informs not just the, the design and the writing, but every single touch point that someone um, might make, from the way that you're cutting something, or structuring a, a promo if it's a motion piece, or the way that you're laying out uh, a poster.
0: Yeah, no, you guys have like the best case studies. So, and a- anyone listening, go to uh, gretelny.com. Uh, if you want to check out this this specifically. It's gretelny dot com slash work slash ifc, um, and you'll be able to see a, a an incredible kind of. Um, Yeah, almost like process... and, and a bunch of different examples of how this ex- was ex- executed and, and how it ended up. Um, you, you touched a little bit of, on handing off your work and, and handing off a, a toolkit because you don't actually um, hand off the, the finished product. Uh, you, you hand off right, a, a toolkit, something that um, is going to have to be taken and used and reused over years. Um, what's that like? What's that like uh, knowing that you're you're handing something off and, and creating something that... Um, after you hand it off, you don't really have any control over.
1: Um, well, that's a that's a multi layered question. So I think we <laughs> certainly, as a studio, we make we love to make. I don't think we'll ever get to that. And I I know that personally, I have no interest in becoming a strategy only shop or agency. Like I don't even like the word agency for that connotation, I guess. But we will never not make things. So <laughs> for something like IFC, we are making a ton of assets and we're building. Uh, sample promos but ideally we're building real things as well that they're going to implement on day one so it's yeah. not just ideas or sketches of ideas but we get really specific about how things should look and how they should work and we actually work with the teams so in that case just to keep going on that one for a second you know we did a few meetings um, toward the end there where we're talking with promo producers about how to write for the network and how to edit oh, wow. on the network and we're handing over graphics toolkits for people in the edit bays Really specifically working with them on okay, how do you guys cut promos? What do you, what software are you using? Um, in that case, there was a lot of Avid work for kind of the work-a-day promos, and then they would go into After Effects for special tentpoles or big events or that kind of thing. So we're adapting our deliverables to meet those needs, so that they're not what you never want to happen is to build something that looks totally beautiful when you hand it over, but falls apart because it's either you know too soft and too nuanced or um, it's sort of so specific that no one can recreate what you've done through the tools that you're delivering. So you have to make sure that that those tools are really going to help people and be an easy path for them so they don't feel like they have to reinvent it right away. Um, Hmm. Media brands in particular, creative people want to take license and they want to be able to express themselves um, no matter what. So a big part of what we do is create structure so that people can have freedom in other places. So layout, typeface, color palette, maybe those are totally fixed. And maybe writing is a little more open. Uh, Maybe writing and messaging is totally fixed, but something like color palette is wide open or composition is wide open. So for us, it's really about imposing rigor in certain areas um, so that you can let the brand live and sort of um, map out a path after you hand it over so it can become, uh, have a life of its own and not just feel totally prescriptive to your vision, but you know, no brand is going to, every, every brand evolves, right? That's the whole point. And you have to kind of lay the groundwork for that. Um, you can't pretend that you're going to be able to foresee every single eventuality that, that someone might bump into.
0: Have you, have you been like pleasantly surprised at times when you, I I don't know, go, go to watch IFC or, um, and any of the other incredible brands that you've worked with? And then you're like, wow, like I would never expect it. It went that way.
1: Yeah, I think, it cuts both ways, right? Sure. So yeah. I think IFC has done an amazing job. Vice has done an amazing job. Um, and I think that's, it's because, and even Centrix. So if you look on our site, you'll see a, a brand for Centric
0: Love that, that we did, one. which is yeah. totally
1: different. It's, it's way more expressive. There's a lot more moving parts, certainly a lot more, literally a lot more layers in that brand. Like there are sort of seven key components, I think, that add up to the brand. I saw a living billboard up in Times Square for uh, something on Centric a few weeks ago when we were up there for a meeting and it was perfect. It was great. It was just like it wasn't exactly something we had delivered to them, but they were using the toolkit in exactly the right way. And they had made this new thing and it was it was beautiful. So it's really great to see people using the tools that you deliver in the right way. And the whole point of that is that you're not sort of foisting your agenda onto people or giving someone something that you think they need. But if it really is true to the brand and really feels like a genuine expression of what the brand is about it sort of is, is, you know, cutting the right impression for the brand out in the world, then people should want to use it because it starts to feel like a genuine uh, kind of authentic outward expression of the inward values of the brand. And that's that's always
0: the hope. So this, this question might relate back to a little bit of, of pitching, but I think also just like the, the creative process in general. How do you guys handle... Um, presenting options to your client right like i mean a lot of your pre-production process is is all about boiling down to a to a central metaphor and everything kind of built builds out from that so uh, i guess do you do you present first i guess when you pitch do you present a lot of different options do you ever present multiple kind of core metaphors because um, you know there's you know some people would say like you know if you present someone three options they're going to pick your least favorite one and you know you don't want to present something that you're not going to be proud of and that's not going to be right for a brand so how do you guys how do you guys kind of tackle that
1: yeah so again you know divergent paths but for a pitch we pitch one thing um that's it and we go really deep so our vice our initial vice pitch was i just we did we redid it for this conference and it was a hundred and eight slides or something like that. And we had reels and we had promos and we had you know everything from T-shirts to you know writing and language. And it was fully blown out. I think we had a three-minute montage to go along with it. But that, for us, is proving out that your concept can do all the things that your brand needs to do. And the only way to kind of um, kick the tires is to, is to build it. And when we do pitch, when we're going to bother pitching, I think we come in with... Um, we come in with the idea that feels turnkey so that when we leave that meeting it should be able to be um, sort of kicked off the next day. Um, so I think in that case it's, it's one direction. If it's a collaboration, uh, certainly we're showing them multiple executions, but they're all against the same strategy. So getting to that one metaphor is a collaborative process, and from there you should be able to express that thing in a few different ways. So um, something like Netflix, for example, I think we presented seven different uh, visual options against the same kind of core idea of uh, Vice. As we got into Vice, there was kind of a redirect in that process. But as we got into representing for Vice Land, we had three pretty blown out. They were posters in that case. They were like, I think, 85 on-air frames each, but really blowing out three different directions against the same exact strategy, different ways of like slicing that same thinking. But we never present ever anything that we don't believe in, um, not because we're afraid people will pick it, but just because, you know, you shouldn't ever go in with something that doesn't feel fully yeah. resolved. It just isn't sort of a, it's, it's not going to help anyone, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, it's very interesting to me that, that you, you pitched Viceland and they awarded you the job, but then it went in a different direction. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So we we pitched just because it felt like too ripe of an opportunity to pass on and, and such a great brand. And the initial briefing was so open that we're like, we have to take this on. It, it just seems <laughs> great. Um, so we presented our thoughts in this hour-long, what I thought was a, a totally clear-headed and smart presentation, totally right for them. And then nothing like the phone did not ring for a week, two weeks. And we're like, oh, uh, this doesn't <laughs> sound good. Then we get a note that the guy who we pitched to, who at the time was in charge of the network creative uh, left. And so we thought, well, this oh, wow. is not good for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it was three weeks later, we got a call. And initially the the call was "Well, we showed Spike Jones and Eddie Moretti, who are the, the I think co-presidents of the network, The Work, and they're not into it. And we were like crushed because we had put all this time and effort into it. And, you know, we really believed in the thing that we presented. Um, But on the merit of The Work, um, they invited us to redirect and and pitch again on The Network. And at the time, uh, Shane Smith, who's the CEO of all of Vice, um, was working on a daily news show, the idea for a daily news show that would be on HBO, and asked Eddie, for something that was like an interface, like a, like a UI kind of thing, where everything was dynamic and moving, and it's sort of like a timeline, but digital, and they would use it for their on-air. And he's like, I just saw that you know, last week in this pitch for Vice Land. So we started working on that process, on that project with Vice, um, and then had a chance to sort of partner and, and do the direct award version of our
0: process for Vice Land. So then yeah. we were in full collaboration mode, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean it. It came out. I mean, so perfect. I mean, and perfectly like simple and and I mean, okay. So I've I have heard this quote before, and I'm trying to find who who said it, but um, it's something like minimalism is not a lack of something; it's simply the perfect amount of something. Um, and and I think not not just Viceland, but like all of your projects hit that really really well like you you guys have like the perfect amount of restraint especially within motion it's just all very poignant and it all comes back to that that core metaphor could you talk about that a little bit and how like you know if maybe you you've gone too far and you've added too much to something
1: sure i think you know i don't really think of us as minimalists but i suppose You could cut the work that way if you're looking at it on the whole. Um, Certainly, Viceland is about sort of a playful subversion of that idea of minimalism. But um, yeah, I think we tend towards solutions that are clear. I think it's fair to say we're modernists. Um, Something like Centric, to me, doesn't feel totally minimal. But I get what you're saying. And I think um, the purity of any idea can be diluted. You have to have enough uh, structure so that you know how to make all the things that you need to make and adapt your design and your behavior in all the places it needs to live, that has to be informed by some governing principles um, and hard and fast rules in some cases, but it has to have enough room for play and expression. And and I think Vice is a good example of that. When you look at the initial layout grid, it's like really fixed, but then when you start to see, oh, you can take liberties with composition and the way that you're sort of um, (laughs) anti-animating typography, (laughs) Now you can sort of, you have room to run and and room to play. If we open that up and sort of let in another typeface or we decided, okay, now we're gonna have color in the mix. It may work for a given client. It it may be necessary for certain clients, but for these guys, it really wasn't part of it because the whole intent was to keep the content forward and let the content be the special thing and have the design Mm. totally take a back seat. Um, So I think there's always that balance and, and it just comes down to what, The brand calls for and what the client's needs are
0: do you ever find that as as creative director you often have to rein in um your team in some ways like i think um i I don't know like i am like fairly young in my career and and i feel like um it's easy to have the uh tendency to to over animate or, or over design or um I don't know go, go too far with something is that is that ever something that you guys like find that you have to actively like rein back and be like no like this this exceeds the breadth of our our concept and, and the way we want to execute this
1: yeah constantly i think editing editing as in reducing and being selective about what fits in a given concept is basically my job um <laughs> and the point the point of any creative expression is to go... You have to figure out where the line is, and the only way to know where the line is is to kind of cross that line oh, yeah. on multiple axes. So whether it's motion or writing or typography um, or layout, you know, you want to push it to the point where it feels like it's breaking so that you know um, how to rein it in or where that, that sort of edge is that's sort of tense and exciting without it just <laughs> devolving or diluting into into... Into total chaos, or even just uh, softening, what should be a really clear takeaway.
0: So, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about your role as as creative director. I know that you you spent some time uh, at a previous studio as as a designer animator for eight years, which is um, as you said before, it's it's quite a quite a long while, especially in this industry. Um, but now at Gretel, you're obviously a you're a creative director. You're you're leading a team. Um, could you talk a little bit about that that transition?
1: Sure. Yeah, I worked at a studio called Leroy and Clarkson. I was um, the first hire there. Uh, And when I left, I think we were somewhere around 18 people, you know, a little bit bigger than maybe Gretel is now. But yeah, because I was there from the beginning, I was, you know, (laughs) answering the phone even for a little while, while designing, (laughs) while animating, and and, uh, eventually, and kind of without even realizing it, directing other people, and became an art director, I think, in the first Officially, I don't know, maybe in the first couple years, but um, because I was in there sort of from the beginning and it, it, there wasn't really an op- any other option. I, I guess I don't know how everyone does it, but I was leading teams and leading other designers and animators just by virtue of being the guy, the guy, the only guy there. So. <laughs> I think that shift, though, for everybody, and I'm sure some of your listeners are maybe making that shift or about to make that shift or wonder what that's even like is tough it's the the sort of toughest thing in the world is to s- shift from making the thing to helping people make the thing and resisting the temptation to sort of boot them off the keyboard or the way come and, and get in there yourself um, that's really hard, but there are a lot of steps in between you know um, just sort of doing and executing the work and and being able to steer the work. And then even beyond that, imagine what the work could be. So I think part of my job now is not just shaping what we're doing in the studio, but proactively thinking, here's what the client is asking us, here's what the client might need, but what else can we do for them? Where else should they be going that they're not thinking about? And how can we help shape that strategically? And it becomes like a lot more of an ambiguous challenge and a lot less of a tactical problem-solving thing. So I think there are a few key points in your career that you that maybe you can relate to this, I'm not sure, that are tipping points. And one of them is really when you start to get access to clients. I think when you're hearing the client's voice, either in a meeting or over the phone even, or sitting in on calls even if you're not saying anything, it shifts the way that you think about the work because it's very easy, I think, from behind your computer through your art director or creative director to kind of you know, uh, not bad mouth the client, but think, oh, these people don't know what they're doing. Like they don't see the value in what I'm creating or what I'm trying to do here. It can feel that way sometimes. Um, but as soon as you start hearing that and having to defend your work face to face with the client and not even really defend your work, but, but talk about your work in a way that satisfies their needs, which they may not care if you're choosing between, you know, Helvetica and Ackerat, or, something, or the, the nuance of your typeface choice, or the, the sort of finesse of your uh, keyframe animation—it really, they have some other agenda, and that might be business-driven. It might be about you know shifting perception. It might be—it's certainly going to be bigger than just um, the the details and the visual or sort of uh, motion component that you're so focused on, because you're the expert they're hiring to deal with that. So as you can zoom out a little bit, hear what the client is saying, and and frame your approach. Through that larger objective of theirs, that's really critical, and I think for me, like, was a big, a big tipping point in being able to to work effectively within the bounds of actual real work that would make it into the world. And I think you look at Pinterest and you look at Behance and and all these places, uh, Cargo Collective, even maybe less so these days, but you see tons of great, beautiful work, but it's like a boneyard, like things just didn't hit or resonate or become real for some reason and it's it's i think because people aren't able to kind of connect the thing that they want to make uh with the needs of the client and there can be this feeling like oh the client didn't really you know get what i was trying to do for them or didn't sort of um isn't smart enough to understand what i'm trying to make or isn't sort of educated enough about design to appreciate the value in this thing and really you know design is a service business and our job is to to create things that help the client tell their story and if you can't link that up or aren't listening closely enough to what they're asking for um i think it's a shame and and i think that's why making beautiful striking smart systematic work that satisfies the client needs and gets out there in the world to me that's the most satisfying thing because it's easy to make something in, in the vacuum of the studio um it becomes much harder to make that thing and keep the purity of your intent intact as it becomes real. And as you're handing it over to people to work with.
0: Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm going to have to pause for a second. Cause I was just listening to what you were <laughs> saying and not uh, thinking of what my next question would be. Um. <laughs>
1: so you asked about like other, you asked about shifting to that role of managing. So that's one thing, like learning to listen, Listen to the big picture. Listen to the client. Listen to everybody yeah. in the in the studio. If the listen to your parents, like you know, <laughs> you might show. You, we were talking about showing uh, work to non-designers, and there's something to be said if people don't react or if people you know have no discernible takeaway from what you're showing or don't get your intent. It, they shouldn't have to be educated in the you know world of graphic design or or um, animation or branding to understand what you're doing.
0: Do you guys do any, like, focus groups or any kind of, like, outside getting opinions after after you've gotten to a certain point?
1: Yeah, I think we that we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, we're working with a client now where we took initial concepts and put them up on a board in front of all, I think, 98 full-time employees, and everybody got to vote with Post-it notes <laughs> and give us comments and reactions, which was oh, wow. really, really great, like, really insightful and interesting to hear from the you know the accountants and also the staff creatives and you know the person who's uh, answering the phone so
0: was that something you guys we do it in
1: all kinds of different ways this is the way that that they actually do work uh, over there or the way that we're working with them for the first time it's the first time they've looked at their brand i guess uh from the outside or or even really at all. Uh, They've had, I wish I could talk about who they are, but I can't. (laughs) They've had like wild success and have never uh, done that thing where you now have to reconsider or consider for the first time, I guess, how um, you're expressing yourself to the outside world. So it's sensitive. I mean, when people, you have success, you've sort of named your own band and now you're, you know, you have gold records. Like it can be really um, touchy when you're trying to kind of mess with the essence of the brand and and things like the logo, things like, you know, the, the way that you present yourself on your product or.
0: I mean, this, that's like the, the, the core, like highest, like almost spiritual level of, of a business. It's, it's who they are. And, oh man, I, I didn't think of this. So like, I mean, there is, I mean pretty crazy sometimes backlash to to rebrands to change like people in general like humanity just like resists change in some ways you guys ever ever fight that whether whether it's internally or externally when when you um launch a, a, a new brand a new new project and, and do you ever get that kind of pushback and resistance uh, against that change
1: every time yeah not everyone (laughs) at the company and certainly if it's a if it's an outward facing um most of what we do i think does touch the public yeah we'll get emails from very angry consumers viewers uh customers take your pick we did a rebrand years ago for nick jr and it wasn't and it's you know targeting preschoolers and we got basically hate mail from several parents for uh for killing off it wasn't our decision necessarily, <laughs> but killing off two beloved kind of interstitial hosts um of Nick Jr, and yeah, people have strong reactions to things that they love, and I think you're never gonna yeah, you're never gonna be able to win everybody over. I love getting positive and negative feedback. I think it's really you know you're not doing something right if everyone's just kind of tepid or very ambivalent about it, like it should. Provoke strong reactions from both sides, you know
0: oh yeah, no th- I, mean, I mean that's a great perspective. Do you ever find that it's it's hard to not to not let it get to you because like sometimes I'll read not never about your work i've I've only literally only ever seen just like glowing reviews um but Man, I I see some like crazy reactions to branding. I mean, you you already said that you oh, got yeah, hate yeah. mail, but it it kind of blows my mind a little bit. I'm just like, okay, can you just just breathe for a second, please? Just like let this soak in a little bit over time, and like,
1: yeah, there are there's some um, when our work goes up on brand new, I can't read the comments for very long because it it tends to make my blood boil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it's I think part of that you have to check your ego. Of course, like when you're making this work, it's not about you. It's about, you know, servicing the client and creating the best solution for their needs. And I, I, you know, you just can't get caught up in that. Um, you want to hunt these people down and explain to them all the sort of (laughs) nuances of the project and how everything unfolded, but that's not the point, obviously.
0: No, definitely. Well, and, and it's, I I heard, um, Paula Sher, uh talking at um, Off in in Barcelona this year, and and she was yep. talking about this a little bit, and how like yeah that uh, that initial reaction that people have to that change like isn't the point. Like she's designing something for like that's going to last decades, and she has to think about how this thing is going to be perceived like ten years from now, and like how different that is than just like that immediate like gut reaction to something and and i don't know it's like amazing that's such an amazing like long-term perspective that i think is really hard to gain is that something you guys think about a lot that that like long-term like longevity of of making work that's i don't know that will like stand the test of time i feel like that's got to be a really hard challenge
1: yeah i mean each client is different but certainly that's Part of the point of any brand is that you don't want to be doing the same exercise next year um, that's, that would be a result of it failing in some way so I think um, I think anything we build we're planning for how the, the brand will live on uh, beyond our beyond handoff certainly, and that might be for a year, it might be for five years I don't think we're consciously thinking about you know fifteen, 20 years down the road, um, but you don't want to be redoing a whole brand program a year from now because that would mean that somehow we've failed so i think yeah it's always in the back of our mind how are the people we're handing this over to how are they going to be able to execute against uh our vision and our creative and and the platform we're creating for them how does
0: that grow and evolve and suit their needs um i feel like your guys's work like it it, is, it feels a bit style agnostic to me. It, it feels very much like you guys start from a blank page um, with, with each client and, and really find a, a visual style that, that really matches the, the core of what you guys are trying to accomplish. Uh, and I feel like that's very difficult. Could you talk a little bit about tailoring your style and, and your execution to each client?
1: Sure. Yeah, you know, certainly each client is really different. And for us, we do start with a blank slate. Um, We do a lot of tear sheets and mood boards, um, and we look at a lot of reference, and we tend to bucket things together as a quick way to kind of frame out different creative approaches and territories and, you know, test out concepts um, against executions for a given client. So we'll do, you know, tons of that. And we'll, we'll pull down from the web. We'll sort of dig through books. We'll kind of uh, pull out references that we've maybe gathered on other jobs and just try to sketch in broad strokes, you know, through other uh, analogous work what we think a solution might be. But that sort of openness and willingness to kind of pursue things that are outside of our comfort zone, I think is, is really rewarding, like when you can find a solution that may not be the thing that you, the individual designer, animator, uh, you know, writer, artist, whatever, would do, but that is, that is appropriate for your client and you can you know, work through a different kind of uh, stylistic lens or, or tone, I think that's really exciting.
0: Do you think that there is an element of of teamwork that kind of contributes to that as well too? Like, d- do you often find like it's it's one one person's voice like coming out and being like, you know, that 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 comp you put together there looks great. Like, let's let's build on that. Or is it often uh, the fusing of of many people's styles and voices coming together?
1: I think in the end, it's a fusion of a lot of different influences. But there are really key moments in any project that sometimes come down to one frame. Sometimes it's one piece of reference. Sometimes it's one sketch. Sometimes it's something that someone says in a meeting that, you know, cracks the whole thing open. (laughs) So I think those moments where you're really able to see, it's kind of like you start seeing uh, the matrix of what the brand might become through these really specific instances are fully driven by individuals. um, But then it's everybody else saying, yeah, and then what about this? And what if we took this thing from over here? And folded that under this idea and now it feels like, okay, now we've got a whole structure that we can start working against. That's, that's where the kind of group, um, the collective mindset really starts kicking into high gear.
0: So when do you guys start talking about motion and, and animation? Um, is that something that you guys are, are talking about like right at the beginning or does it come kind of after the, um, the visual style is set?
1: Yeah, I think certainly it's part of the consideration Early on, I mean, as soon as we're doing layouts, and we do tend to sketch visually, I think, statically first, it's just much easier, sometimes, not all the time, to kind of do comps and and Photoshop, Illustrator, that kind of thing. Um, At the same time, we might be pulling motion references and we might be sketching um, in After Effects how these things might work, uh, whether it's like how a website might behave or a digital product or platform might behave. Um, or, you know, uh, something like, a, if it's a media brand, something like an ad or an n-tag or, or something there. So how things move, you know, the net result, I think if you look at a frame from Viceland, you might not understand like how it, how it could move um, if you look at a certain frame. So it's not always going to illuminate the way something behaves. Um, IFC is another example of using motion in a totally sort of different, almost obtuse way to offset the really printed um kind of like postery we talked about the venue aesthetic the way that it moves is is totally different to that i mean we could have animated that just like paper rolling out or kind of wheat paste layers tearing away or something like that but we we took a different tack um deliberately so i think it's it's something we consider and we have to consider right off right off the bat
0: so I understand that you, you spent some time teaching uh, at the School of Visual Arts and uh, also Motion Graphics Portfolio. Um, I don't know, is that like how long did you do that? Like what was your experience uh, teaching and what did you teach specifically?
1: Yeah, so uh, SVA operates under a portfolio model for seniors. So you choose typically one portfolio course, whatever you want to specialize in that might be print, it might be interactive. And the course that I taught was Motion Graphics Portfolio. Um, so it's it's... I think it was once a week and it was, you know, three hours, um, with the students. And of course, lots of time after hours on weekends and that kind of thing as well, because it's their senior year and this is their chance to put together a body of work through this course that would help them hopefully, you know, crack into the, to the industry. So, you know, I love lots of things about teaching. Um, I have a family now, which sort of makes the (laughs) logistics and the, the time commitment, um, not really viable. Yeah. For me, I mean, it, to do it well, it's it's totally immersive and you have to spend a lot of time. You become kind of a coach for each individual student, but you're also trying to give them some structure. And of course, you're responsible for giving them assignments that yield, you know, uh, hopefully really great pieces that will catch the eye of someone in the industry and give them a foothold. So. I think we talk about, and we talked about in class. We talk about in the studio too. The, the analogy of learning a musical instrument, let's say. So, you're, when you're first starting out with anything, you're just you're playing covers, or you're even before that, you're just mimicking what you might hear um, in a song or on the radio. You're trying to master the instrument and just figure out how, you know, when I press this, what happens, and how do I achieve that sound, and how do I get to this next place of layering it up with a drum beat now or something like that. Um, once you can articulate, you know, play the instrument, master that skill set. Now you're not just playing covers, but you're trying to kind of riff, and you're, you're sort of going on runs, and you're reinterpreting or rearranging the song in your own way, through your own voice. Um, and the next step might be writing music, and then beyond that, you know, writing for multiple instruments, and eventually maybe composing for the whole orchestra. So I think that you're trying to do all of that in a portfolio class. You're trying to make sure that the students know the sort of um, underpinning theory behind the way things behave and move and look. Um, so it's not just motion, but it's design and it's messaging and it's pacing and it's editing. And it... this discipline of motion graphics um, specifically encompasses all of that. There's, you know, if there's an audio component. It, you're cutting effectively editing and it's obviously, you know, moving graphic design. So there's a whole host of issues in any one category that are, that are really difficult to master. And we're asking students in their fourth year to kind of, um, you know, conduct the symphony sometimes, which can
0: be overwhelming. But I guess it's not a thing that you're like immediately, like it's thrust upon you, um, right? It's something that you, like you said, I mean, I think that's a great analogy. It's something that you, you grow into. And I feel like there's new, as yeah. you said earlier, there's like new points of learning and, and you're almost a student of these new disciplines every single time as you move up.
1: Yeah, at each level, at each, I guess, rung of the ladder or a different role that you sort of take on in your life as a creative uh, professional, you could dig in, like, infinitely. You could be a designer-animator, certainly, you know, your whole career oh, yeah. and never learn it all, you know. You could move up to art director and never learn that all. You could become a certainly creative director and spend your whole career there. But, I mean, you know, just editing. Editing alone is such a subtle and beautiful art it's it's obviously people spend their whole careers just mastering that and it's I think there's a there's just kind of a beauty in mastering any part of the craft I know for me it was I was just always curious to see over the fence a little bit and get further (laughs) upstream in the process so I think that's why I'm where I am now but I love I love seeing people who are just natural you know designers animators we have them here who are just Sort of savants of layout and typography and motion, and it's it's just really inspiring to see those people work and to be able to help shape their work into something that adds up to, you know, for us a, a brand, a living brand that can surprise but has some sort of uh, framework around it and, and underlying thought.
0: So, what are you what are you learning now as you're as you're uh, progressing f- forward in your own career?
1: What am I learning now? Um, yeah, I guess. I'm learning how to let go, right That's always <laughs> we talked about that a little bit, but that's it's it's tough. I think encouraging and shaping work um, is very different than making work yourself, and that's it's a lifelong pursuit. I know that it will be. Um, but yeah, that's part of what I'm learning. I'm also learning how to I think the clients that we're working with now and the way that we're working with clients is a lot more. For me, at least, it's a lot less about the end result of what we're making and trying to shape the essence of what the brand is about, even before maybe it hits language. So we're working with people to kind of position who they are at a root level and sort of elevate those principles, yes, through language and through design, ultimately, and we make things that face out into the world, but operating at that core level of the ethos and even looking at the structure of their business and thinking about how, if they're a cultural institution, like how might they better reach people? Where could they, you know, what spaces can they play in that maybe they aren't tapping into now? And then how do you express really abstract ideas um, through design? I think that for me is really, (laughs) it's really difficult certainly, but it's really (laughs) um, challenging and, you know, this work that we do in any creative work is never easy for anybody. I think looking when you're young you think, oh, art directors have it easy. Like all they have to do is help steer the design, or uh, when you're an art director, you think creative directors have it easy. But nobody architects, I think, you know, artists, chefs, anybody who who pursues a creative life and who has to sort of make work in any form. I've never met anybody
0: with any measure of success who can just do it effortlessly, you know. So when, when you come up against those kind of creative blocks, creative challenges, or, or maybe even just communication challenges, is there anything that you consistently do to kind of break through those? Let's see. I
1: mean, for me, like breaking my routine, I guess, does help. Like I like to work outside the studio and that might mean, you know, outside work hours or it might mean, you know, just going somewhere else in the morning to think about work or, or reading something not related to the job I'm working on. And, and oftentimes that's where something will pop up. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Maybe your listeners can relate to that. It's when you're sitting at the machine and you're, <laughs> you've got the blank canvas of, uh, of Photoshop open or, or text edit open and you're like, okay, ideas, ideas. You know, That's never when it sort of clicks. It's always in some off moment when you're thinking about something else that you, that you connect two dots or see something in a way that you weren't looking at when you were staring straight at it. So I think, yeah, getting yourself out of your routine and, and really trying to diversify your intake, your input, is is really
0: helpful. So I'd like to go back to, you mentioned a little bit before, like at the beginning of every project, you you have a meeting with with your entire team, um, which, I mean, 15, 16 people, I mean, that, that's, that's quite a bit. I mean, I guess there's probably people who aren't I, how many people would you say are in that meeting
1: yeah project team project you know team. so it's yeah. not very rarely is everyone working <laughs> yeah, on the yeah, same yeah, yeah. thing so I think those meetings tend to be
0: you know five people six people on the large side yeah well I mean for for us and, and for my team that's something that like we're constantly thinking about and that that moment that that meeting is crucial I think to the success of a project and like and I think there's a lot of things that that can go wrong I, I think that um, I don't know, it can be hard to manage that many people's opinions. It can be hard to um, throw out ideas and not, not get attached to them or defensive about them. Um, and you have a lot of different personalities that kind of all clash in this, in this almost like battle of ideas. And um, you're kind of at the center of that. So how do you, how do you manage those, those moments and that, that kind of raw idea state that can be really fragile and I think really difficult?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's it's always a series of meetings it's never just kind of one key there's a key kickoff meeting but of course we're we're checking in constantly. But yeah, totally. It's, you know, it's a vulnerable state and everybody has to trust that everybody else, you know, has not maybe their best interest as individuals but the best interest of the company and the opportunity to create something that we all believe in. Um you have to believe that that's possible and those people need to trust that Greg and I, you know, may we may throw things out that someone have has worked on really hard for like a couple of weeks, and and ninety eight percent of what we do here never makes it out into the world. That's just the nature of the business. But you know, we have to trust that if someone's really committed to something, that there's some something clicking for them about this idea. Like sometimes we may not see it right away, and we'll give them the chance to to crack it open. Um, and sometimes that happens, and sometimes it just it just doesn't so I think um, we have a shorthand here, I think among each other. Now our, our reference points and our working relationships are all you know pretty aligned, and we always hope for people to not just do the thing that we think that they think that we might like, but the thing that they genuinely believe is the best solution for any given job, and each person is going to interpret that totally differently. So for me, it's about sometimes pulling out the best pieces from different ways of thinking and folding that into the brand. And sometimes it's about just zeroing in on this is it. This one thing here that this one person made or that these people collectively made is it. Um, and sort of building out from there.
0: I mean, you also said that you kind of separate it into like different times and different meetings. Um, do you find, because like, I feel like it, just with my personal experience, like I feel like some people... Um, I don't know. They, they they might have the best ideas, but sometimes don't, those ideas don't come as quickly, um, and so they might get overpowered by people who have maybe a bit, um, you know, a bit more rapid fire ideas and things like that. Do you do you guys try to allow time for that, or do you just have all like lightning fast thinkers there?
1: Oh no no, it's nothing about it is lightning fast. <laughs> I think if you if you talk to anybody who's been here, I mean, we the meetings can be long themselves, and the process. You know, we tend to front load creative um in the scope of a job so we'll spend a lot more time thinking and sketching and working on the idea than we will executing that idea that's um i think critical for exactly what you're saying you as you evolve the thing as new input comes in from the client and from the people in the studio you have to be able to kind of work in the best opinions the best you know uh, sketches the best version of everyone's take on the challenge at hand so yeah i think as we roll along it's never it's never like we have a, an idea in that first meeting that goes through to become the final project totally untouched that's never ever the case it's it's everyone kind of collectively um, throwing in and, and contributing as we go to make the thing better and more robust and sort of more um, exciting you know okay. the single best thing for morale in the studio probably in any studio is Making great work. I mean, everybody can, I think, once we cross over a certain threshold with any project, see where it's going and and really be proud of it as a group and then just be able to contribute and and nobody holds a grudge if if their (laughs) idea or design or whatever wasn't the sort of root of the thing, you know. At least I don't think so.
0: All right, so we we try to end each each, uh, episode with the same few questions. Um, So the first is, who is your dream client?
1: Yeah, it's funny. We used to joke, like Dylan Mulvaney, um, one of our art directors and I, would tend to be in the studio early and the phone would ring sometimes and we we wouldn't answer it deliberately or we couldn't catch it in time and we would joke that it was like Nike on the phone or Netflix would be on the phone or something <laughs> and um, or Apple or something would be calling. And we've worked with um, Two of some clients that I would say are dream clients yeah. and we're working with them now. And so, I, you know, for me, the best... Things that on paper might be great turn out not to be great for a variety of reasons that you might think are dream jobs. But there is value, yeah. might sound cliche, in every job. <laughs> so maybe we've had our dream clients, but I, I, I would love to work for, here's one, I would love to work for like a public utility, actually. Something that's oh. like Con Edison or, or in New York, like the MTA even, where it's, it's just infused throughout the lives of the general public in a way that... I think in this, maybe in this country, I mean, Con Ed has a great mark, actually, but um, you look at, like, branding, like the, the Dutch police force or something, and, and they have these amazing cars and amazing jackets and that kind of thing would be really
0: exciting. Yeah. All right, next question. What is your favorite animated film? My
1: favorite animated film? So I have two little girls, which means we watch a lot of Pixar, and I think um, maybe that's leaping to mind
0: just because of familiarity but i love love ratatouille (laughs) (laughs) that's brad bird right yeah yeah man yeah okay we can't we can't get off on a tangent all right what (laughs) what do the people you love think that you do for a living so what what do your what do your daughters think that dad does at work all day
1: oh they're too little to know (laughs) i think but um my grandmother once uh told, uh, someone else in my family that I worked at the internet, um, <laughs> which I assume for her meant a building that, you know, housed the people who made websites or something. But that's amazing. yeah, I think by this point, people know, know what we do. And I think, um, what I do, they, they know that it's branding and people just say graphic <laughs> design. Cause I think that's easier to get your head around. I work at the internet. I want that on a yeah. business card or something. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: All right. Last question. What animal did you choose for your animal later and why?
1: <laughs> i'm still deciding oh, uh, really? i know the format yeah. i know the, the sort of uh skin that it's going to take on i just don't know
0: what the animal will be ah oh, it's a mystery all right just yet um, we'll sh- have to yeah. wait and find out although everyone listening will know but i will have to wait and <laughs> <Yeah>. find out. <laughs> well uh ryan thank you so much for uh coming on the show i appreciate it
1: yeah thanks for having me zach i appreciate it too
0: Animalators is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and created in collaboration between Identity Visuals and Gradient. To learn more about the work we're doing at Identity Visuals, check out IdentityVisuals.com or follow us on Twitter at identityvisuals. Visuals. To find out more about Gretel's work, you can head to their website, GretelNY.com. That's G-R-E-T-E-L-N-Y.com. The theme music to the show was written and produced by Cody Fry. Check out more of his work at CodyFry.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, or you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, YouTube, really anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back in a couple weeks for another episode of Animalators, Curious Conversations in the World of Animation.